This is Who Makes a Podcast. Conversations with your favorite podcast hosts about who they are, the shows they make, and why they make them. I'm your host, Chris Cookley, and my guest today is Thomas J. Brown. The son of a producer and a photographer, Thomas has visual storytelling in his blood. He earned a BA in electronic media and film from Eastern Washington University, where he worked on air at radio stations KEWU and KYRS. Thomas builds websites by day and has a longtime hobby of screenwriting. An offhand comment at a party led to the creation of his latest podcast, Almost Plausible. In this episode, we talk about why anything and everything shows rarely work, how picking one thing at a time to focus on improving can lead to fantastic results, Thomas and his co-host's recording process, and how Thomas uses what we coined a pod cave to record himself, and our mutual dislike of the ever-popular Blue Yeti microphone. Now, of course, that's not all we talked about, and there is so much more in this episode that I know you're going to love. So without taking any more of your time, here is my conversation with Thomas J. Brown. Thomas, welcome to Who Makes a Podcast. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. Your podcast is new to me. I've listened to a couple episodes of it. We met on Reddit recently, and I yeah. reached out to you and said, would you come on? Would you tell me about your show and what it is you're doing? And the, the podcast is a lot of fun, what I've heard. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about yourself and where you're from? Sure. So uh, I was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, and spent 18 years growing up there, which was pretty great, but kind of limiting. Uh, Hawaii... You know, I live in, in Spokane, Washington now, and the great thing about living on, we call it the mainland in Hawaii, uh, in the mainland, the lower 48, is if I want to go to Idaho, I can be there in 30 minutes. If I want to go to Canada, I can be there in about three hours. If I want to go to Seattle, under five. If I want to go to another island in Hawaii, you've got to buy a plane ticket, you got to have a place to stay. If you want to get around on the other island, you need to rent a car. Like, it's a whole big production. So there's a lot more freedom living here now. Uh, so it's not all sunshine and roses like everybody seems to think it is. Uh, vacationing there is very different from living there, especially when you're a teenager and you're living in a tourist-centric city. So there's not a lot of free stuff to do. There's only so much you can do for free. Um, but yeah, it was a great place to grow up. I really enjoyed it. I definitely took it, uh, took it for granted. But every time I go back now, I try to have the experiences that I wish that I would have thought to do when I was living there. Like what? One of the things I've really gotten into lately is fruit hunting. And Wait, fruit hunting? <laughs> yeah, there's a great okay. uh, documentary called The Fruit Hunters, which if you want sort of a quick, like a 90-minute primer on this, this hobby, I guess, it's a, a fantastic way to uh, understand what it is all about. There's a okay. great uh, YouTube channel as well. I want to say it's called Weird Explorer, uh, and the guy lives in New York, and he's a... I think he actually went to school for botany, but now he's a contortionist in the circus. So a little bit of a different career path yeah, for him. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the cool things about his job is he goes all around the world. And when he's in those exotic places, he'll look for interesting fruit there. And so he does videos about them. And, you know, I think a lot of us, especially in the United States, we grew up with apples and bananas and maybe like grapes and oranges. Like there's a pretty standard set of fruit. And what first kind of got me thinking about it was... Living in the Northwest, we have a ton of different varieties of apple here. Yeah. And I think it was right, right around the time that Cosmic Crisp came out that I was really starting to think about, oh, yeah, there's like a ton of different apple varieties. There are so many. And I haven't tried most of them. I kind of just eat the same two or three varieties all the time. So that got me started in, okay, let's try some of the other varieties. And so I went to the store and I was like, I haven't tried that one, haven't tried that one. And now I actually have a list that I keep on my phone because I'm like, have I eaten that before or not? <laughs> so I have to check on the list and be like, oh, no, no, okay, I've had that. <laughs> so when you're saying fruit hunting, are you, initially you said that, and I'm, I'm imagining like you're going out into the jungle looking for fruit with a machete, but you're, you're just talking about going to different stores and seeing what the produce section has? You know, there are definitely people, and you'll see this in the documentary if you watch it, who do go out into the jungle with machetes trying to find 
fruit that has been known about, but people don't, it's like not commercially produced and maybe it's been over harvested. And so it's really hard to find things that are maybe sort of mythical fruit that are out there. Just really rare stuff that's hard to find or new types of things. There are lots of heirloom varieties of apple, for example, that there are people who are trying to like look, it's very archeological. Uh, they'll look through old documents to try to find references to things and old manifests and stuff like that and try to figure out, okay, where was this variety of apple being grown? And then they'll track down the farmers uh, who own the farms where those apples were being grown. And they'll try to find out, do you have any of these left? Or uh, apparently, I think I heard a story about a, a type of apple that was saved because there was some like rotten fruit on the ground. And so somebody took the seeds and, wow, you know, grew whole new trees from them. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to talk to you offline about uh, different, different fruit <laughs> I, varieties. I, you know, I, I have thought about making a fruit podcast. So I think, I think you could probably go in we'll that circle direction. circle back around yeah. then. So some sort of, um, I'm imagining a group of people sitting around trying unique fruits and just recording their experiences. I think that that, that could be kind of like cool. That sounds like my dream. Yeah. Let's make this happen. All right. You ship me the exotic fruits from Hawaii and I will join you online and we'll, we'll taste them. Sounds good. All right. So you left Hawaii at 18, I assume, to go to college. Yep. You told me before we started that you have a a degree in in film studies. Is that right? So it's called electronic media and film, which is a fancy way of saying filmmaking without shooting anything on film. It was all shot on on digital digital tape. Uh, But it was all film principles. We learned about lighting and that sort of stuff, but not the actual photography aspect of things quite so much. We didn't really get into... You know, with a camera, you have f-stops and shutter speed and all that. Sure. We kind of talk about that a little bit, but because we're working with video, it's a bit of a different beast, and that really wasn't what the focus was on quite so much. I see. So you, you graduated with that degree, and now you're you're building websites. What did the transition yeah. to that look like? How did you get from from one to the other? Well, it's funny. I actually started making websites before I got into any sort of video production in my high school Let's see, I was a freshman when they started giving out internet access for the very first time to the students. And very quickly, somebody found GeoCities and they're like, hey, we can make our own websites. Oh, yeah, and I, I remember was like, GeoCities. Dude, I'm in. This is, I'm for this. This is great. And that started me down a path of building websites as a hobby. But at that point in time, uh, my mom was a producer, as, as I think you mentioned. And my dad was a photographer, so I had very much that visual storytelling type of thing. I was—I always had grew up on sets uh, because I was. I was on set all the time for various commercials that my mom was producing. So I was like, yeah, I want to be a director. And I'd made like little video projects with like the home camcorder and stuff like that. Uh, as soon as I could take video classes at my high school, I did. I took all of the video classes that were available. I actually worked in our video editing thing. I got an award from the school um, for my work. Uh, and and my projects and whatnot. Nice. Yeah, and and I loved it. I thought, okay, I'm totally going to go to Hollywood. I'm going to be this successful director, or at least a working director, which I think that's successful. If you're in Hollywood and you're working, that's pretty good. Yeah, so, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's certainly plenty of people in Hollywood who are not working as much as they'd like to be. But yeah, so that was the plan. And then by the time I graduated, which was in 2003 when I graduated from college, Hollywood was putting out a lot of garbage at that point in time. Very derivative, very repetitive, and... I, by the time I graduated, I had sort of decided I don't want to go to Hollywood because I don't really like the way the system seems to be working. But the only other option for working in the film industry and making feature films, which is what I wanted to do, was to be an independent filmmaker. And so it was go work in a cutthroat, oversaturated industry that is more about business than art, or I can go and have that artistic freedom, but be poor or more likely in debt for the rest of my life. And I was like, ooh, I don't like either of those paths. Let me think about this for a while. Yeah. So I started working at a local television station, doing video production there, trying to think about it. And the whole time I was there, I kept saying, hey, you know, the website that we have for the station kind of stinks. Like, I think we could do something better. And we were kind of noodling around with that for a bit. And then all of a sudden, the owner of the station said, hey, make the website a priority. And so the higher-ups at the company were like, well, Thomas, you keep talking about this. Would you want to, we'll promote you into that position? And I said, yeah, okay, sure, that sounds cool. And I switched over to web production from there and kind of, not that I've never gone back. I've certainly done a lot of video production uh, since then, both on both sides of the camera. But my day job has been web development since then. So, so I mean, it sounds like you obviously have a, a media-focused background. Yeah. And... I would consider web development to be a, a media 
environment. There's a lot of images and, and text and, and visuals, and it's a very visual environment. So I think yeah, that I would that say that the fits. crossover, it, there's a strong crossover. It's visual storytelling either way. So. Yeah. So at what point does, does podcasting become a thing for you? When, when did you start thinking about making a podcast? When did you start listening to podcasts? Gosh, it would have been in the early 2000s. Um, yeah, sometime around there, I must have, must have been when I started listening. So Emily and I created a podcast. Emily called, being your, one of your co-hosts. Yes, one of my co-hosts. Uh, we created a podcast called Allopod back in 2005. And that ran, it was a monthly show. It ran for nine episodes before we stopped doing it. It was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of work. And it was an anything and everything show. And in my opinion, anything and everything shows only work for two kinds of people. One is if you're a celebrity, because people don't care what you're talking about. They care what you have to say because you're a celebrity, right? The other type of person it works for is people who they just want to BS with their friends and put out this podcast and it's for fun. They don't care if anyone ever listens. But if you want people to listen to your show, I feel like the anything and everything format doesn't work very well because I don't know you and I don't care about your opinion. Right. So I'm not going to listen to your show. That's not, at least for me, I could be completely wrong. Maybe there are tons of people who are like, what do random people think about random topics? No, I, I think you're I right. <laughs> but for me, I, I tend to gravitate either toward personalities. Oh, I know that person's work. I want to hear more about what they have to say, or I want to hear this thing that they've done, or I've listened to a show of theirs in the past. And here, here's this new project that they're working on, or it's because the subject matter is interesting to me. And so they're doing a show about let's say about fruit hunting, right? If there was a podcast about that, okay, that's interesting for me. I will listen to that because that is something I want to hear more about. I think that that's the majority of people that listen to podcasts is they they find a topic that they're interested in and then they find yeah. a show that fulfills that topic. And then hopefully, you know, the the golden trifecta or whatever would be that you find a topic that you're interested in, you find a show about that topic, and then you find a host that is engaging and and, and entertaining and you enjoy listening to them and then you know then you're hooked then you're in yeah for sure and so i think that's kind of why the podcast fizzled out was we had some great guests it was an interview well it wasn't all an interview show we had an interview segment on the show and we interviewed some pretty cool people uh we talked to Stu evie who was one of the co-founders of of espn um hurricane katrina was happening around that time and there was a guy called the interdictor who was helping to keep I think it was something like 5% of the world's internet traffic flowing through a uh, backbone in New Orleans. Wow. And he said, like, if we weren't here doing this, you would notice. And so he was being interviewed by like the BBC and all these <laughs> big things. And I sent him an email like, hey, would you come on our podcast? He was like, sure. Yeah. So we had some really cool interviews, but that was just a small segment of the show. And like I said, a lot of it was just, what are we going to talk about this week? And it just didn't really feel worth the time and effort that we were putting into it so yeah and that was that was what 2005 2006 something like that it would have been right around that time yeah. okay so then ha it, it, has there been another podcast in between then and almost plausible because it, it looks like you just started almost plausible which is your your current podcast this year so that would be what 12 years 17 years something like that yeah uh there has not been a podcast in between the desire for a new podcast has been there the whole time though Again, it was coming, coming up with the idea, right? We didn't want to do an anything and everything show, but what were we going to do a show about? And it, the other thing is, you know, I'm going to be honest with myself as an adult, right? I have ADHD. I have a short attention span. Like, I know how I am with projects. I get really excited about something for a very short period of time. And maybe that's kind of part of what happened with the first show is it got exciting and then it got to be work. And then I was like, eh, I don't want to do this anymore. So that was a big thing that I was looking for was, what is something that I feel will sustain my interest? And so when we came up with this idea, it sort of, it was that, it was that trifecta like you were talking about, but personal of, of, oh, this seems like a good idea. Like people might be interested in this. I'm interested in this. And I'm interested in this to the extent that I feel like I would be willing to continue doing this. I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't at this point talk a little bit about what your podcast is about. What What is the this that Almost Plausible is? How would you describe it? Oh, man, that's like the $64 million question. Is that a thing, $64 million? I feel like I'm getting that number wrong. Hey, somebody has it. <laughs> uh, well, Elon just bought Twitter for $45 billion, so let's say it's the $45 billion question. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I, I really, I struggle to have a good elevator pitch for this. Um, 
I, I describe it differently every time. So basically, the premise of the show is myself and two of my friends, Emily and F. Paul Shepard, we take everyday items. So think of like a calculator or a paper clip or a toilet brush or a ceiling fan, like normal, weird, random everyday things. And then we try to come up with a movie where that everyday object is crucial to the plot in some way. Either it sets off the events of the film uh, or it comes back as a tool that gets used again and again, or it's the primary MacGuffin that everyone's trying to go after. So something like that. And yeah, it starts off with like a pitch session. So we we come up with what the idea is, then we have about a week to come up with our various ideas for that object. At the beginning of the episode, we'll each take turns pitching our ideas, and then we talk about, okay, what do we like? What do we not like? What seems like it could be made out into a full story? We pick one, develop it, and hopefully we come up with a story that's at least almost plausible. Yeah. Hey, it's Chris. Can I jump in here for a minute and ask if you have thought about making your own podcast? If you have, you may have realized there's a lot more that goes into it than you might have thought. Don't worry. I have a gift for you. I want you to have my podcast quick start checklist. From what microphone and recording software you should use to how you host and distribute your show, I'm here to help with all of that and more. My podcast quick start checklist will walk you through everything you need to know to start your podcast. I'll show you what's actually important. To get my podcast quick start checklist, go to whomakesapodcast.com slash start and tell me where to send it. Now let's get back to the episode. So you're you're essentially workshopping a script almost. You're not writing a script, but you're you're no. sitting around a table, you're you know, you're you're spitballing ideas, you're brainstorming, yeah. you're you're bouncing things off of each other. What if he does this? What if she does that? What if they say this and this leads to that? And you're working out plot points, you're working out character arcs. Yeah. Yeah. The goal is to come up with sort of from be, from the inciting incident to the denouement. What are the, who are the characters? What are the situations? What is that story arc and those character arcs? What are those broad strokes that if you had all that, you could sit down and start to write an actual screenplay from that. But we're not trying to come up with individual scenes or, you know, specific lines of dialogue. We do sometimes come up with lines of dialogue or, or very detailed things. It's very bounces around a lot. I mean, we're always trying to get those broad strokes, but sometimes we get a little uh, narrowly focused at times, I suppose. And we start quibbling about, well, no, this wouldn't work that way. And, and we start doing stuff. And then sometimes somebody will go, I don't think that actually matters. <laughs> Maybe yeah. we should move on. So, but it's because it's fun. It's we get, we get into it. So I feel like at, at least once in each of the episodes that I've listened to, you guys will get through something and then somebody will be like, wait a second, we're making a movie that already exists. Oh, it's th there aren't original ideas anymore, Chris. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard. Every every movie has been made. Yeah. There's so many times where we'll be like, oh, and then this could happen. And someone will be like, no, no, that's this. In fact, we did one for uh, Breadmaker. And... That's a little toaster. <laughs> brave little yeah, toaster. The, the, yeah, Brave Little Toaster. That's a good call, actually. <laughs> So for Breadmaker, we decided that it was going to be a witch and the Breadmaker was like a modern day cauldron. And then we sort of decided, oh, this is like a training cauldron for this runaway teenager that the witch has taken under her wing. And we kept coming up, mostly me, kept coming up with plot points that was like, and then it could be like this. And they were like, no, 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 no that's practical magic. I'm like, oh, dang, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> So we have we have a lot of references in our show, and we always put those on our website. So, do you watch a lot of movies? I mean, oh my you, God. you guys I watch so many movies. <laughs> okay, I was gonna say you you guys talk about movies, and you know I, I haven't seen ninety percent of the movies that you guys are talking about. So I would be I would be the one that's going in there going, "This is a fantastic idea. We should do it like this." And if if y'all weren't there, you know, we'd just move forward with it, and we'd be like, "Yes, it's an original idea. It's perfect. Nobody's done this before." I came up, I, I had a really good clip that I wanted to use for a cold open, but it was between that one and another clip. And I, I asked a friend of mine, I said, okay, listen to these two. Which one do you think is funnier? And they were like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what the, any of those movies are. I don't understand any of those references. So I think you should use the other one. And I was like, oh yeah, nobody understands these things. <laughs> it is a bit inside baseball. Has anybody, has, has, have either of the three of you actually tried to make any of these ideas into a screenplay, tried to flesh it out on, on paper? 
not any of these ideas. We, we kind of don't have time, really. Um, it's an episode every week. We record pretty much every week. And it takes, yeah. because of life stuff, it takes about a week to get all of the pieces sort of done. So at the moment, we're, we're at our capacity, let's say. How, how long are those recording sessions? We start off with about 30 to 40 minutes of just kind of chatting. We do some warm-up games that we play and to kind of get both our voices warmed up, but also our, they're like kind of creativity driven games. So to get our brains working in that mode, we try to record the episodes for about one hour or sometimes it's a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more, kind of depends how it goes, but we try to aim for that. We want to give ourselves that limit. Um, so, cause we could go all night. We could just keep coming up with more and more detail. Uh, so we want to make sure we have sort of a bit of a cutoff point in mind. Mm-hmm. And then after we stop recording the show proper, we just keep recording and we just keep talking about whatever and BS. And the reason we did that was because there was an episode where as soon as we hit stop, we started discussing the story and came up with some really, really great ideas for like who we would, who we would cast in the various roles. And afterward, we thought, shoot, we really should have been recording that. That would be great bonus content or something. But. Yeah. All right. So you have a, a film background yeah what is what what kind of background does emily and shep have emily's is very english driven um i'm gonna get this wrong she has her ba in creative writing and her master's in english literature or something i don't remember it might actually say on the website i should probably know this stuff (laughs) but it's very english centric it's it's she has a lot of um literary references that she'll come up with because she knows those things better than we do uh Shep, he ha- is a computer background. I believe he has a CS degree. He's a programmer as well. So He is also into film then, I guess. He is. He has seen a lot of different movies. And that's one thing over the years that's always impressed me about him is he has a really solid understanding of the structure of story. And he understands what the common themes and narratives are. And he's very keen on bucking those trends. If you listen to our show, very often he'll say, no, 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 no. that's what everyone does. Let's not do that. And frankly, I think he's right. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of what everyone does is lazy writing. Sometimes I think there's value to it, either because you're doing that as a way to lull the audience into thinking things are one way, and then you're going to give them that left turn later on. Or sometimes you can use it as a, just a quick shorthand. If it's a detail that doesn't really matter, who cares? Like, let's just get it out there so the audience understands quickly because it's a thing they've seen a hundred times before, and then we can do something different where, where it matters. But overall, I think it does make sense to break away because that is more interesting. That makes your stuff more unique. Why would you make the same things that have been made over and over and over again? I'd love to know, Hollywood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it makes money. It's a tried and true and it makes the money. The superheroes That's why, have as been long as, finished. They're done. Right, as long as we keep paying for it, they'll keep making it. If we start demanding interesting different movies like uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which if you've never seen it, Go out and watch it immediately. It's amazing. Don't learn anything about it. Don't try to find out stuff about this movie. Just see it blind. It is so good. Yeah, that's uh, that's one that I have not heard of. Uh, I'm, su- I'm surprised how few people have heard of it. Anything, everywhere, all at once. It's called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Okay. It's so good. So good. Don't find out anything. Don't watch the trailer. Don't learn anything about it. Just know that it's weird and good. <laughs> All right. Where did the idea for your podcast come from? Was it you that had the idea? Was it your idea? I don't know. I don't remember. So uh, during the pandemic, we had been doing these sort of Sunday morning coffee meetings with a bunch of people in our friend group. And there was one morning, the three of us were there uh, with some other people. And it's very laid back. People will like do laundry and look at other things on their computer and do whatever. So it's not like We have to all be there, including everybody. People are kind of coming in and going. The three of us were talking about movies. I think I had just recently watched the Battleship movie. I'd never seen it before. And it was on my list of like, hey, here's a movie I can put on in the background and mostly ignore while I'm doing other stuff. And that was how I had, quote unquote, watched it. Mm -hmm. And uh, boy, wow. I mean, it's a movie about a board game. I mean, come on. And so, I mean, it's a great board game. Hey, totally. One of my favorites as a kid. Even <laughs> even today, I think it's a fun game. But it's what a weird thing to to choose as the theme for your for your movie. Sure. And so we were kind of talking about that and talking about board game movies and whatnot. 
and I'm not sure exactly how the conversation went, but knowing the three of us, it was probably a lot like our podcast where we just kind of kept talking about things and building ideas and going, oh, we could do this, oh, we could do that. And probably, I could be wrong about this, but probably what happened was that I joked, wow, that would make a great podcast. And then Chef went, yeah, it would. Uh, but I do remember later thinking about it and thinking, actually, that would make a good podcast. And I think we could do this. And it feels like an entertaining concept. It really takes things that I have enjoyed over the years, like that screenwriting. Emily and Shep and I at various times have worked either in pairs or all three of us together doing varying, various screenwriting projects. And so that's a thing that we've always enjoyed. In fact, some of the most fun that I have had is coming up with those things. And it's sometimes that fun is sitting in silence thinking about, God, how are we going to figure this out? Uh, and that's one thing you don't hear much of in the podcast is us sitting in silence because I cut all of that, <laughs> all of that yeah. out. But it's sometimes in the edit, it'll literally be like a couple of minutes of nobody saying anything <laughs> because we're trying to figure it out. You know, you listen to it and it sounds like we're real snappy and punchy and we've got all the solutions right away. You know, we don't have more than a second of silence ever in our show. Uh, I have it that, a, a macro to get rid of that in the edit. But sometimes it's literally minutes of us just sitting quietly thinking. But that's really fun because you're doing that like mental exercise of trying to come up with it. You, you missed the April 1st deadline, but it would be kind of funny if you put out like a, a almost plausible deleted scenes. And it, it was literally just, you know, like 40 minutes of, right. of the silence that you it's cut out of from other episodes. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you're not sure where the where the where the idea actually like who whose idea it was. Was it difficult to? It was convince, probably a collaborative effort. Yeah. Was was it difficult to convince your co-hosts to join you in making a podcast? I mean, a absolutely not. No. No. They were I, all about it. They were as soon as I said, "Hey, I think we should do this." I think Chef was like, "Yeah, I know. I said we should," <laughs> and Emily was like, "Yeah, that sounds like fun." Because again, she and I had done that other podcast before, so. We'd had that experience together. And actually, Chef and I had been working on another podcast that the pandemic interrupted. Uh, so we, hadn't, we haven't worked on that one since. Um, we might go back to that one. That one, we wrote ourselves into a corner with that one. So I don't know if we'll come back to it or not. <laughs> Was that like a, a, a story kind of a podcast? Not like a... Yeah, we wanted to do a like hard-boiled detective type of story. Okay. I feel like the answer to this is going to be no, given okay. your your answer to my screenplay writing question. But have you thought about trying to make any of these stories into audio dramas? So the answer is yes, we've thought about it. Okay. But again, we ha don't have time to really do that. So it's I mean, not that would something be a full production. Pursued. It really would. And it would yeah. require sitting down and actually writing out full-on scenes and whatnot scripts and a cast more likely and... what we would do is write a scene or try to maybe like write a trailer version of it and do that sort of a thing but it is something that we've talked about we do have some ideas for bonus content or potential patreon content or however we decide we want to release that stuff and that is one of the ideas we've talked about is doing something along those lines what is like the the typical production cycle look like for an episode i feel like we've kind of briefly touched touched on yeah. it but uh, you have an episode coming out every single week. They're not, they're not exactly short episodes, and it sounds like you have a decent amount of editing that you need to do on them. Is, is it you that does the editing? Yeah, so I do the editing. Uh, that film degree does come in handy for that, I think. <laughs> okay, so how, how, does, how does an idea get selected? Like, what do your, your timelines look like during the week? So we have a list of ideas uh, that we kind of just as we come up with, oh, that might make an interesting episode, we'll put it on there. Not everything works um, because either it's too close to something else or it doesn't feel focused enough or it doesn't feel broad enough in some cases. So at, at the end of a recording session, we'll say, okay, what's, what are we doing next week? We'll look at the list. Sometimes we pick something off the list. Sometimes somebody just says, oh, what about this thing? And we go, okay, yeah, that works. Um, we usually don't put a, lot of, a whole lot of thought, though, into what the actual item is going to be. So for, that's we record on Wednesday evenings. So Wednesday evening, that's when we come up with the idea. So by the next Wednesday evening, we're supposed to have come to the recording with at least two to three pitches. Uh, sometimes we come up with many more. Sometimes we don't have that many. It depends on the, the object. So then we'll start recording. Like I said, we do our warm-ups and, and then we record the show, do the pitches, pick the show, all that. When we're done, they will 
which uh, so we do double ender recording. So they were all in our own homes. They record their own stuff in Audacity. Mm -hmm. They'll send me the WAV files. I'll download those, edit over the course of the week. And then I don't know how technical you want me to get. I can tell you every, yeah, every step go. along the way. Okay. Let's go. So, <clears throat> so, so I record in Audacity. We all record in Audacity, but I do all of my editing in Audition. Okay. Uh, actually, that's not true. I don't do all of my editing. I do almost all of the editing in Audition. So I have some, what do you call them? The multi-track. I have multi-track templates that I've created that have our filters for each of our channels. So I just drop our audio in there, edit it all. I do, once I have the edit done, I'll do a mix down of the whole edit. I bring that into Audacity because I like the truncate silence tool in Audacity better than the one in Audition. Although it's okay. entirely possible that I just don't know how to use the one in Audition properly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a complex tool. Um, but I like the one in, in Audacity. It's quick and easy to use. Uh, so I'll run it through that just to make sure that we don't have those silences that are longer than one second, because that's boring. I will then bring that into the other multi-track template that I set up that has our music in it. I'll put the cold open at the front. So when I'm editing, I'm dropping markers in there to say, okay, this might make a good cold open. This might make a good cold open. Pick one of those, set that at the beginning, adjust all the music, get the ad break figured out, export all of that down to a file. And then I bring that back into Audition and use the match loudness tool to get it to negative 16 LUFs and export that as an MP3. I always listen to every single episode, the MP3 of every single episode, because there are so many shows that I've listened to other podcasts where there's a glaring error that if only someone had listened to their podcast yeah. before uploading it, they would have caught it. And even like big productions do this sometimes. And so I always make a point of listening to every episode. And there have been a couple of times where I've left like a <clears throat> on that I just didn't delete out or something and it's under somebody else's track. And I think, oh, better go back in and take that out. So it does help. <laughs> so while I'm listening, I'm, you know, listening to doing that quality check, but I'm also listening for what would be good quotes to use for our uh, social media graphics that I make. So I'll pull all of those out and then make the graphics. I have templates for all of that in Photoshop and I do an audiogram in uh, After Effects and I do a full length, I guess you would call it an audiogram type of thing for YouTube. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I create all of that sort of stuff. I put everything in the queue to upload. Emily does the references, so I'll send her, and she handles all the social media as well. So I will send her the social media images and the final episode. She'll listen through it and create the list of references and the links to all of those things. Shep handles all of the transcription, and his whole process is totally bananas. That's a whole technical conversation in and of itself, but he gets me back that, and so then I take those things and put them into our... Uh, on our website and get that all scheduled and ready to go so that hopefully at Tuesday morning at 4 a.m. Pacific, when everything publishes simultaneously across all of the different platforms, then it's all there and ready to go. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're jumping back and forth between different softwares yeah. quite a bit as you're doing this audition to audacity, back to audition, right. back to audacity. I mean, there's, there are only two things I actually do in, in, oh gosh, they had such similar names. Okay. Hold on. Audition and audacity. There's only two things I do on audacity. And that's record because it's just such a simple interface. Yep. I don't need all the bells and whistles when I'm recording. And because that's what they use. So it's easier to do any kind of troubleshooting if we have the same interface. And then also that truncate silence tool. It's quick and it's easy and it's already set up the way I like it. So it's super fast to just open the wave in there, run it, and then export it back out again. Are you guys just jumping on a uh, like a Zoom call to, yes. to get connected? Yeah. Yeah, we don't record any of the video of that, but sure. we can all see each other, of course. Cool. But like, what what about the other technical stuff that you're working with? What kind of microphone do you have? What's that running into? Hang on, I'm going to look at the microphone real quick. It's going to be ugly. What is this? It's a Shure, I know that. I don't know. I think it's a 78, SM78, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I don't remember. It's some sort of a dynamic mic. It's a Shure. Uh, that goes into a Mackie 12-channel thing that I've got years and years ago when I was doing the first podcast uh, and I was working at the TV station at the time and the, I was telling the head engineer there about it and he was like, well, do you want this thing? We don't use it anymore. And I said, <laughs> free gear? Yes, of course I want it. Um, so that's what I'm using. And then that goes into my computer from there. And then I'm not 100% sure what their setups are like. I know Emily has a Blue Yeti, which I don't love. No, me neither. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, I, I want to get her on a dynamic mic ASAP, but <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to take a stand and say that I'm anti Blue Yeti for yeah, pretty, they, pretty much everything. The best thing that the Blue Yeti has is marketing. Oh, yeah. No, they're they're marketed like crazy. Marketing is fantastic there. And they're, they look cool. And they do. They do. I think they're, they're, they're an affordable price point for something that feels very it's professional. Heavy. It feels like very prosumery, I guess. Yeah, it is. The problem is people don't understand the difference between dynamic <laughs> mics and uh, um, condensers. Thank you. Condenser yep. mics. Totally blanked on it. <laughs> But the, t the two major kinds of mics, or ribbon mics, I mean, how crazy do we want to get? It, it also helps that you can just plug it in USB. So I, right. I know that that's why a lot of people go yeah. for it. And I, I get it. Like, if, if you're using a Blue Yeti, I don't, I'm not hating on you. I understand why you got it. Right. I just think you should get something else. Look, if you have a treated room, go bananas. Right, 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 yeah. But you don't. <laughs> Most people you know, don't. I'm sitting under a, a blanket tent that I build every single time I record, and Which I'm using a dynamic mic. I'm going to ask mic. you about in a minute. <laughs> okay. I did have one comment to make. I, I love that you are recording yourself, one person, one channel, into a 12-channel mixer. <laughs> it's not overkill it's, at all. It's I mean, because it's an XLR mic, and I need some way to get that into the computer. <laughs> I hope that you are at least moving the XLR cable from input to input to input so that they all get a little bit of love every That's so often. Idea. Yeah, I wouldn't want to wear down one channel too much, would I? <laughs> you got 12 preamps there. I mean, That's sure. right. That's right. <laughs> you got, so you got a long it, life ahead of it. When I've recorded with other people, it's been great. Oh, In I'm fact, sure, yeah. When we were doing uh, the Allopod, which was the one that Emily and I did, we I had set this crazy thing up where... God, how did I even do this now? Oh, I remember. Okay, so I had this crappy feature phone. This was before smartphones, guys. So I had this crappy feature phone, but it had a headset. And so there was like an earbud. And then partway down the earbud was like a little microphone that you would talk into. Mm -hmm. So I took a stick mic, which I didn't have a cable. I just plugged the microphone literally into the board. So you get the stick mic sticking up out of the board. Gaff taped to the end of that is the earbud. <laughs> and you would be surprised at how well this thing picked up sound. And then we would just talk at the microphone thing. And of course, we could hear everything that was coming through the board. So we could hear what they were saying. But there was no, it was all mix minus because we're not sending their audio back to them because it's just this open mic that's in the room. So it worked out incredibly well for doing phone interviews. I actually haven't found anything that's cheap and easy that's better. You're, you're, just, making a, uh, you're just making your own shotgun mic. You know, I took all the gear that I had and I came up with a solution that worked perfectly yeah. for what we were trying to do. So, and was free because I already had all the stuff. This is completely irrelevant, but well, maybe not completely irrelevant. Is your is your Mackie mixer, the 12 channel mixer, does it actually send 12 inputs signals? No, no it, it it mixes down to two and then you get yep. you get left and right stereo into the computer. Okay. Yeah, it's an, it's an old analog one. I would love to get what's the one is it um live or road or somebody has one that boy it outputs everything and a mix down and it has yeah road has the uh road <sighs> the procaster i think it's called I think that's or the, the road the roadcaster yeah. pro yeah yeah yeah, I, I yeah can't that's remember. it Whew, that thing is sexy i want one of those but i don't have a good excuse for it so <laughs> i i have an amazon wish list that's a whole bunch of podcasting gear that's like oh yeah i don't have a a case and it would all just go in the case and it have all these rack mounted <laughs> things and I could just take it somewhere and open it up and plug it in and it would be ready to go. <laughs> all right. I need to know about your, your desk tent that you set up. <laughs> okay. what, what, right. what is this? What does this look like? Why are you doing it? So the room that I'm in is not ideal for recording. Uh, I was actually recording in my closet for a while, but the internet signal to the closet is kind of weak and it was messing up our Zoom, so we were getting a lot of latency, and that just made it impossible to have a conversation. So I had to move back into the office. The problem with the office is I have a window to the outside that, that's on a street. Not a super busy street, but busier than I would like. That's on one side. The other side, I have French doors to the house where you know my kid runs around and whatnot, so not great on that side either. There's like this weird f angled ceiling that's flat and all sorts of like room echo. So like the whole thing, it sounds not great just on its own mm -hmm. but when i when i set up the tent it sounds a lot better not perfect <laughs> but better so i have two lighting stands one on either side of my desk 
And then behind me, I have a speaker stand. And so between those three things, those sort of act as like the tent poles. And then I drape this big blanket over those uh, and over my monitors and whatnot. So it sort of creates a little sound tent that actually does a very good job of diminishing the, the reflective noise or absorbing the noise so it doesn't reflect around quite so much. I'm going to dub that the pod cave. The pod cave. Oh, I'm going to get yeah. a little sign made up and everything. There you go. Yeah. Don't bother me. I'm in the pod cave. I'm hibernating. Yeah. It's, yeah, I'm, it's so warm. And there's this, this thing that's, <laughs> if I could get air conditioning in the pod cave, that would be great. But that's going to ruin all the sound. So. That would, that would Defeat not the purpose. help. Yes. That would not help the sound. So your podcast has been out like two months now. And you've, you know, you've got 14 episodes at this point, at the point that we're recording this. Yeah. One a week. How has the reception been? Have you, have you had many reviews or ratings? Have you heard from listeners? What, what's that been like? So everybody that we've talked to, everybody who's given us any kind of feedback, it's been nothing but positive feedback. People love the idea. When we tell people about the idea, they're like, oh, that's a cool idea. And so people really seem to like it. The thing we're struggling with is getting people to find it. And that's, I mean, every podcast who is nobody like we are, mm -hmm. you know, nobody knows us. We, we don't have social media presences prior to this. I deleted my Twitter ages ago and I'm not active on Facebook. And I have an Instagram account that I almost never post anything to because my cat passed away uh, a year or so ago. And that was mostly what I posted to it was pictures of her. So I don't really post <laughs> pictures of much of anything anymore. Yeah. And not that I had that many followers anyway. So we didn't have big followings to tap into. But yeah, the, the reception has been really positive with everyone that we've talked, who, who we've heard from. We have a few reviews on, uh, on Apple. Again, all five stars, people saying how much they enjoy the show. So I, I'm very pleased with the show. I'm really happy with how it turns out. In fact, it's gotten to the point where just yesterday I was thinking about like, oh, what was that movie where this, oh, that wasn't a movie where that happened. That was one of our episodes. Like it's <laughs> become seeping into my brain now to where I'm convinced that these are movies I've seen. But that's... That's just how it works for, at least for me, I can see in my head these scenes. I can imagine what they look like and what the characters look like and some of the dialogue. So it feels really like something I've actually watched. Well, maybe it should be something that you can watch. That would be great. Although one of the taglines we like to use is the best movies you've never seen or the best movies you'll never see. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we'd have to stop saying that, I suppose. But, <laughs> but you know what? Good problem to have, right? Yeah, it could be worse. It could be worse. <laughs> All right, so it's I mean it's growing, you're getting some you're getting some traction. How how many listens have you had? How many average listens are you looking at right now? Do you know? So just today we crossed 600. Nice. We started our earliest test recordings in October of 21. We did a few then and we started recording the show proper in December of 21. We released February 1st, 22, and our goal when we released was we had no idea what to expect. So we thought if we get 500 downloads in the first year, we'll be excited. It took less than three months. <laughs> yeah. It took like a couple, just a few months to get that. We were like, oh my gosh, 500, it's amazing. And now it's been less than three weeks, I think, since we got to 500 and now we're already past 600. So it's growing and we're very excited about that. Our current goal that we're working toward is 25 downloads of that week's episode during that week. During that week. If that yep. makes sense. So the sure. first seven days that an episode comes out, if we can get 25 downloads, and we want that four weeks in a row. And that's kind of the, the next big goal that we're working toward. So we're getting very close. Last week, it was 23. <laughs> so I kept just watching at the it. end of the day. I'm like, come on, just two just more people need it. to download it. But that still, it feels really good. Like we're already super pumped. So, and then I think our new end of the year. So by January 31st of next year, if we can get to 2,500, that'll feel like a huge milestone that we'll have achieved, so. Yeah, that'd be great. Every time I see a podcast like yours that started after mine, that has more listens than mine, I get reminded that I'm only doing this every other week. And <laughs> I wish I had yeah. the capacity and the bandwidth to do it every week because I feel like that would help the show grow a lot more. There was somebody on one of the podcasting subreddits who was talking about this super successful guy and blah, blah, blah. And somebody asked a question and it turns out he was releasing an episode every day, sometimes more than once a day. And they were like two or three minute long episodes. And I was oh, like, well, geez. of course you have 15,000 downloads. Like, you right. know, we have probably roughly the same amount of material out. You just, right. you get several downloads per hour and we get one. 
So are you doing anything to drive growth to the podcast or is it all kind of uh, organic at this point? Um, it's fairly organic. Things like this, guesting on other podcasts, uh, mm -hmm. is something that we're sort of, now that we're, we're getting more established, pretty much caught up in terms of everything that we've recorded has been edited and we're on a, we have a good workflow to where we don't feel like, oh my gosh, I still got three more to work on. You know, we're kind of caught up on that. So we have a little bit more breathing room. So we're trying to get onto other shows where we can talk about the show and, and contribute to those shows, of course, but we you know talk about our show as well. We're starting to have some guests on. We actually just recorded our very first show with a guest. That's um, exciting. Last week, I think. Yeah, that's the episode I'm currently working on record, uh, currently working on editing. And yeah, it was very exciting. It was, it was interesting to see some of the new technical challenges that I hadn't thought about and some of the things like, oh, I need to remember to tell people that uh, in the future. But it's very cool. So uh, one of the podcasts that I listen to, probably one of my favorite podcasts, one of the hosts on that show, he's a bit of a podcast whore. He'll go on pretty much any show and he's been on probably a couple <laughs> hundred shows at this point. So I reached out to him. I was like, hey, I'm doing a show. And he was like, cool, <laughs> let's schedule a time. So yeah. he'll be on our show uh, pretty soon. And I think he'll do well. He's an improviser. So I think he'll fit in quite well. Cool. I'd love to come on too. If you're, if you're looking for guests, I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. How many episodes in advance do you have like right now banked and ready to go? I want to say five. Okay. Could be six. I don't remember. I think we started with eight. Okay. I think we started with eight before we launched. And then, cause we wanted to make sure that if we needed to take a week or two, or two off for yeah. sickness or vacation or life stuff, or just having some time, you know, to, to, relax and not have to feel stressed about recording the show. And we've taken advantage of that a couple of times. Uh, and so it's yeah. nice to be able to have that and not feel like, oh my gosh, we're going to let people down. Everybody in the podcasting world seems to talk about consistency a lot. Yeah, that's, that's one of the one of the main things that you want to make sure of. And so we wanted to ensure that we had that buffer. That is definitely key. At least at least in my experience, it is, you know, as a listener, yeah. I if, if I don't see a, a podcast pop up in my feed with a new episode, I'm like, well, what, what is going on? Like, I know that they're supposed to be releasing today. I think it depends. There are definitely podcasts where I would notice if they didn't have one that week. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely other podcasts where I kind of don't think about them very often. And then all of a sudden there's an episode and I'm like, oh, right, this show. Because that's just how I listen. I, I, I'm so like... I'm I'm wall to wall with how many podcasts I have. I'm, I have exactly amount the right amount of time every week <laughs> to get through <laughs> what I listen to, so I'm I'm gonna get through it. And I don't really pay that close of attention to what all there is and when it. It's just like oh, time to listen to podcasts again, and I'll yeah listen to whatever's in the queue. So all right, yeah. So I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, I have I, I guess when I say I, I would notice, there's probably three that I have in my subscriptions that I would actually notice if they did not release on time. And I have 51 that I'm subscribed to. Oh my goodness. I, I do not listen to the majority of them regularly, but I'll, I'll regularly pop in and see if any of the episode titles catch my attention and see if there's something that I want to listen to. But I've only got maybe three or four that I, I regularly catch almost every episode. There's one that I, I, and subscribe to because I'm a patron and I would definitely notice if that one didn't appear in my feed because I'm paying for it. So I want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I expect right. to get one. <laughs> so what, what, what podcast are you listening to? What are your, what are your go-tos? I would say, so besides mine, uh, I actually, it's funny. I don't listen to my show when it comes out. I don't either, but I listen. To, I joke that I hear my, I'm, what do I always say? The joke is that I have heard our show more than anyone else in the world because I listen to each episode at least three times. Once when we record it, once when I edit it, and once, as I said, I listen to the finalized MP3. And that's assuming I only have to listen to the finalized MP3 once. There was one time I had to listen to it three times. <laughs> that one was tough to get through. <laughs> yeah. I hope you're like 2Xing it at that point. At that point, well, no, because part of the, the point of listening to it is to hear any issues. <laughs> So I want to make sure that there aren't any problems. But right. sometimes, yeah, when you get to that point, I'll skip ahead to like, okay, did this come out cleanly? Okay, everything's good. I hope there haven't been any issues in my episodes because I do not do the, the final quality checklist. <laughs> I mean, it, it's probably just me being overly cautious because I spend so much time in the edit listening to things over and over and over again. But like I said, there was that one time there was a little cough or a throat clear or something that I should have gotten rid of and just didn't for some reason. So I was glad to have listened to it again to, to catch that. 
All right. So what do you, what are you listening to? So probably my favorite podcast right now is called Hey Riddle Riddle, which is a very divisive podcast. Ostensibly, they're solving riddles. But that is a loose framework for the three hosts to do improvised scenes. They're improvisers who are pretty well known, I think, in the Chicago area. And they're very funny, I think. Shep hates improv. <laughs> he doesn't listen to it. <laughs> Emily, I got Emily listening to it, and she thinks it's great. So <laughs> we listen to it, but he's like, eh, not his thing. Which is, I mean, improvisers will be the first to tell you that improv sucks. So yeah. that's what one of their go-to jokes is like, oh, a friend asks you to come to their improv show, and you're like, I'm busy that day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's one of the shows. Uh, one that I started listening to is called The Other Half. And we actually did a cross-promotion with these guys, which is how I found out about them. So the premise is there are two hosts, and they choose a movie. One of them watches the first half of the movie only. The other one watches the second half of the movie only. And then they get together and talk about it. And it's kind of funny listening to them. One of them will be saying, okay, then this happened and this happened. And the other guy will go, oh, that makes so much more sense now. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting way to, to pick apart movies. This American Life, and of course, I've got some of the course. big ones, 99% Invisible, uh, Radio Lab, some of those big ones like that I, I really enjoy. How has Radio Lab been since Jad left? I, ha I haven't listened to it. I think that it's, I will say it has lost a little something, just as it did when Robert left. Yeah. But the core of the show is still there. I, I think I almost liked Robert more than Jad, honestly. <laughs> I, you know, I like them both because they brought different perspectives. But the core of it is still there. The stories they do are still really interesting. I mean, it's kind of like Reply All, right? With yeah. PJ gone, it's not the same show. But is it yeah. a bad show? It's just a little bit different of a show. I had kind of stopped listening to them, and I don't know why, bef before he left. I don't know if it was... I can't remember if they went exclusive on Spotify or not. I lost a lot of podcasts that went yes. exclusive on Spotify. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I, in fact, it's funny because a lot of people I talked to were like, yeah, fuck Spotify. I don't like what they're doing. And I feel the same way. Like yeah. there are podcasts that I'm still subscribed to them, but I don't ever listen to them because I don't, I'm sorry, Spotify. It's just not how I listen to podcasts. And I'm not going to change the entire way that I listen to podcasts for like a couple of shows. Sorry. Yeah. It's just not happening. And I don't, I don't use the Spotify app. It's not on my phone. Well, what I've, what I've heard from people is that it's not that great for podcasts. Yeah. Like, it's okay, but other stuff is way better. And guess what? I'm using one that's way better, so. Yeah, I mean, I was happy for, uh, for Alex, the creator of Gimlet. Right, right. I mean, I totally understand why people are doing it. If somebody Absolutely. said, hey, we're going to write you this big check and this can be for your sure. full-time job, I would be like... Ooh, <laughs> that does sound very tempting. I mean, that's, and that's hard to say no to. It, it is interesting to see, too, that even the who we think of as some of the big players in the space, they still are really trying to figure out where to get funding. Yeah. It's not just the little guys like us who are kind of hobbyists almost. Or hey, who are you calling a little guy? <laughs> I, I, I meant me, not, <laughs> I didn't mean, it's the royal we, not the... <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Do you have any shows that you that you try to emulate in any sort of way? No, there are not a lot of shows that do what we do. Uh, I have found a couple. There's one called Sequel Pitch that is still going on. They're pretty funny. There's a they're a little bit different in that they they'll watch a movie, and then they will pitch depending on how many people. Sometimes they have a guest on the show, but they'll pitch two or three ideas for okay. Here's what a potential sequel to this movie could be. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Con Air was one that they watched, and then they pitched these just preposterous sequels for Con Air. And then they decide, they, there's like one person who's the judge for that episode, and they'll say, okay, this is the one I think, and here's why. So that's kind of funny, and it's a similar thing. There's a podcast called The Movie Pitch Challenge, which they did one season of 10 episodes. Hopefully they keep going, because I really enjoyed the show. It's similar in that they created, in that they pitch movies. What they did was they created a challenge for themselves 30 pitches in 30 days. And so they said, okay, today it's going to be a horror film. Today it's going to be a romance. Today it's going to be this and that. And so they kind of came up with parameters for each day. So they each have 30 pitches. So each episode is, here's what the theme was. Here's my pitch. Here's the other guy's pitch. Okay, that's the episode. And so they've, like I said, they've released 10. They talked about doing another season, but that was the middle of last year. So I'm really hoping they come back. It was a great show. 
What about hosts? Do you have any podcast hosts or maybe even radio hosts that you look up to that you try to can't try to think about what they do when you're making your show? I mean, if I could sound like Roman Mars, I wouldn't be sad. Oh, wouldn't we all? <laughs> Nate DeMeo, he's, God, Nate DeMeo is such a good storyteller. His stuff is, memory, memory Palace is phenomenal. Oh, okay. It's I was going to so say, that, well that name is new to me, but it's not. I've, I've definitely listened to Memory Palace. It's just been a little bit. It's funny. Um, my ex-wife, we used to listen to Memory Palace because I'd put it on in the car and stuff. We'd be going somewhere and she'd be like, oh, this is the one I don't like, right? <laughs> and it's because... <laughs> They're kind of downer episodes most of the time. Like, it's always talking about people who died in some horrible way. Not always, but often. That's what the what the subject matter is. But, like, the stories are told so beautifully. And yeah. I really like the way that he... Typically, if you were to tell somebody's story, you might focus on... Uh, one that I always sticks out in my mind is the... What is it called? The Triangle Shirt Factory. You know, the factory that burned down and, like, a million people died in it. Not a million, I, I like, don't know this story. Yeah, so there was in New York, I think it was, there was, gosh, I want to say it's like the Triangle Waistcoat Factory or something like that. There was some factory and there were all these women who were in there that were seamstresses. And this was like back before there were laws to protect workers. And the doors were like literally locked so that they couldn't leave. And something caught on fire. Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. Yeah. And so a whole bunch of people died because they couldn't escape the building. Wow. And it was this whole big deal. And it really made a lot of significant changes. It's the reason that there are fire escapes on buildings. It's the reason why a lot of labor laws exist, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. But to use that as an example, if you were going to tell that story, most people, I think, would focus on the fire and the event and sort of the big number of people who died. It was 146, by the way. Okay, yeah. Which, like... Close to a million. So it's not a small, yeah, right? I mean, it may as well be. <laughs> Honestly, it's too many, right? Sure. So, especially the way they died is so horrible and unnecessary. And that, I think, is what people would focus on. But he looks at it from a perspective of who are these people? And oftentimes, he'll tell the story of a well-known tragedy by talking about a person or a couple of people. And he'll start off by saying, like, oh, here's what their life was like. And... Here's what a typical day was for them. And they went to work and then this fire broke out and then they died in this fire that you've heard of because it's famous. And it's like, oh, whoa, you know. So I really like the way that he takes that different approach and weaves a really compelling story, even if it's about something you've already know about or you're already familiar with. He takes a, he finds a different angle. I really like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good podcast and I, I forgot about it and I think I'm going to need to get back to it. It's a good one, yeah. Just to check it out. The podcast that I turn on occasionally that my wife hates is <laughs> Other People by Brad Listy. Okay. I don't know if you've listened to that one at all. I haven't, no. It, he, he interviews novelists and, and authors, basically. And I love it because I've, I'm interested in that world. But his, his delivery is very slow and deliberate, and he does not care about leaving more than one second pauses, particularly in his monologue. He'll, I mean, sure. he'll have like, five, 10, 15 second pauses sometimes <laughs> where it, 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 it seems like he's just like thinking about what to say and it, it just, he just doesn't care. But every time, every time I turn it on, I'm like my wife's like, oh my God, this guy again, really? <laughs> have you listened to uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History? I have not. So Add it's a great show. It's so good. You need time. He'll do like multi-part episodes and each part is three hours long. Wow. They're incredible, though, and there's so much detail packed into them. But he, that's another one where pacing is a big part of the show, and yet he'll leave those long pauses for you to sort of think about what he's saying and picture it and really take it in. It's a really cool show, but that was definitely one where all of a sudden there'd be three that show up in your feed and you've got 15 hours of content to listen to, <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, when am I going to hear this? This is an audiobook. Yeah, really, they could be. Do you do any kind of active learning about how to make your podcast better? Are you, are you actively looking for books to read about podcasting or about probably, I mean, screenwriting would probably make sense for you to be, to be studying. How are you trying to get better at this? Is it just practice and repetition? That definitely helps. Always trying to, you know, one thing I figured out as a programmer is to solve one problem at a time, get better 
one step at a time. And so a lot of it is like, hey, I haven't ever figured out how to do this thing. How do I do this one thing? So same with the podcast. It can be like, man, I'm getting a lot of this weird sound that I want to get rid of. And then you go and you learn about how a compressor works. And all of a sudden, all this background noise is suddenly gone, right? It's like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And then you find out, oh, I've overdone it. <laughs> right? And you sort of learn like where that sweet spot is. And But yeah, and then there's more general stuff. Right now, the big thing that I'm trying to figure out is microphone placement mm -hmm. uh, in our untreated rooms. How can we, because you know, it's garbage in, garbage out. Yep. And the better stuff that we can record up front, the less work and the less processing uh, that we need to apply to it during the edit. So that's kind of the big thing I'm working on right now. I have these three books that I borrowed. I was in the office uh, for the, the company that I work for, and there were these three books sitting there, and I was like, oh, hey, look at these. And my boss was like, oh, yeah, we got those ages ago. I've never looked through them. And I was like, do you mind if I borrow them? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. So I've been sort of working my way through those. I don't have a lot of time to sit and read, so I don't get through them very quickly, uh, which is unfortunate, but... So I'm sort of doing that. In terms of the active screenwriting, I've done a lot of that over the years. I would not by any means pretend that I'm an expert at it, uh, but I have a degree in basically that, right? Sure. And, and I've done a fair amount of it. Sometimes I feel like I'm a... There are those people... Okay, are you familiar with Red Letter Media on YouTube? I am not. There are these series of videos criticizing the Star Wars prequels that are so spot on the episode one criticism it's like an hour and a half or, or more so you'd need a lot of time to sit down and watch it but it is totally accurate everything he says is true about the problems with episode one so he so he's really good at like critiquing somebody else's work but if you look at his original work not so good not for me, anyway. <laughs> I, I wasn't a big fan of the original stuff. And there are a lot of people, I've, I've met people like that, and I feel like sometimes I'm like that, where I know what's wrong with your thing, I know how to make your thing better, but if you sit me down, it's like, okay, you do it now. It's like, well, I don't know if I'll be able to come up with something that's great. But that's part of why, for Almost Plausible, I didn't just sit down and do it by myself in front yeah. of a microphone. I feel like, one, the process is more fun when it's a collaborative process. And two, I think that the final product ends up being better. And if you listen to our show, you'll see we bounce ideas off of each other. We're not afraid to say, no, 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 that won't work for whatever reason. Or ah, I don't think we should do that. Almost always, though, we have a reason why if we say no. But maybe it's as simple as, oh, what if we did this? And then, yeah, you'll hear us. Well, we agree with each other, I think, more than we say no. You know, Somebody will say, well, what if this happened? And we'll be like, yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, I mean, collaboration is, is it's something that I kind of struggle with because I, I, I don't know what, what personality type that makes me. I, I enjoy having full control over everything, the whole step, of like every step in the process. I like doing everything that I want to do my way when I'm, when I'm being creative and I'm doing something. Right. I don't like letting go of anything, but at the same time, I, I fully recognize that I have blind spots and I'm probably doing things incorrectly or maybe they could be done better if somebody else was involved so you know the the screenwriting this part of your podcast certainly benefits i think from having multiple people partaking I mean, in that we have different people who have different experiences and different tastes you know emily brings a female perspective which obviously shep and i lack Mm -hmm. she is a bigger horror fan than either of us. So she has more expertise in that area, which can be helpful even when we're not writing a horror film. You know, Shep has seen a lot of Japanese media. And so there are a lot of tropes that he sees in not just Japanese, but I guess Asian media in general, which he can bring to the table. We've all sort of seen weird stuff. We all like really weird movies. <laughs> so we've seen some pretty out there stuff. And it's kind of fun bringing some of those ideas and whatnot. Well, those are kind of the more artistic movies, I think, historically, at least. Can be, yeah. All right. Well, Thomas, I think that collaboration is probably a fantastic place to start wrapping this episode of Who Makes a Podcast up. Sure. But before we kind of finish for real, what, what's one of the most important lessons that you've learned about podcasting since you started? I would say that contributing to the podcast community has been the one of the most helpful and most rewarding things. I am constantly surprised, maybe not surprised anymore, but pleasantly surprised and, and continue to be pleased by 
how not toxic of a community the podcasting community seems to be online. It's yeah. one of the least toxic communities I've come across on the internet. And you would think that it's a fairly saturated market, podcasting, especially these days. And everyone is fighting for essentially the same audience. I mean, not down to the person, but there is a limited number of people and the limited number of people have a limited number of time to listen to podcasts. So we're all kind of competing for the, those hours that people have. And yet you don't see a lot of people pulling each other down. We're all helping lift each other up for the most part. I mean, there are always some outliers, but generally people are not afraid to give advice or they're not, they're not holding things back. People will tell each other about opportunities and that's really great to see. And if somebody has a question, people are, they don't say, oh, this is bad because of this and this and this. They'll say, well, you know, I noticed this static that was going on and maybe you should check into this thing or, oh, I heard an echo. What sort of a room are you in? Or people will ask questions about like, well, what's the best microphone? And everyone's like, the one you have. It really doesn't matter as much as you think it does. And, right. you know, there are people out there who are just worried and they're concerned and they, they get stuck in that planning phase and people are out there like, nah, man, just do it and cheering each other on. So that has really been great to see. And I think that we found a lot of listeners that way. And I'm really happy to have the support of the community and be able to support the community because it's, it's a great place to be. I feel so comfortable when I'm interacting with other podcasters, not just because it's a thing we have in common, but because I feel like they won't be judgy because they kind of haven't been. Yeah. And that's great. And I mentioned at the the top of this episode that we connected on Reddit. Is that where you're talking about the the podcast community online? In general, yeah. But I mean, I've seen it in, in other places as well. Yeah. Where else are you? Where else are you hanging out online? Oh, man, I mean, it's mostly Reddit. Reddit's a black hole, right? Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like you know, there's there are places. I don't know forums and and things like that. Fora, mm -hmm. I guess you would say things like that. Um, I mean, Reddit is probably the primary place that I hang out. But even then, within Reddit, there are different communities, and they all seem to be pretty positive communities. So. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Is there anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to mention? Not that I can think of. No. Cool. Where can people find you? Where can people find your podcast? You should be able to find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just search for Almost Plausible. The easiest way, though, is just to go to almostplausible.com. All of our episodes are there. We have links to various places where you can subscribe. And of course, we have references and full transcripts of every episode on the website as well. Awesome. Thomas J. Brown, thank you for coming on Who Makes a Podcast. I had a lot of fun. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. It was a fun opportunity. That was my conversation with Thomas J. Brown, web developer, screenwriter, and co-host of the podcast Almost Plausible which can be found on all of the major podcast networks. You can also find Thomas at almostplausible.com. My name is Chris Cookley, and you can find me at whomakesapodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be an enormous help if you shared it with your friends. And if you're still listening, but you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? Subscribe wherever you're listening right now. And if you host a podcast and would like to be my next guest on Who Makes a Podcast, let me know. Go to whomakesapodcast.com slash guest and tell me about your show. This is Who Makes a Podcast. I'll be back next time with another conversation with another incredible podcast host. Thanks for listening.